Good afternoon, everybody. It's uh, welcome to Brown Janikowski's uh, monthly market update webinar today, um, Tuesday, September the 28th. I, I know that we haven't done one since um, about the end, end of August and you know, a few things have happened since then and quite a bit's actually happening today. So it's a good time for all of us to catch up. And if people have questions, because it seems like the last few meetings I've been sort of somewhat repeating myself and things have been going fairly steady and without a lot of incident, but uh, but there's definitely more news uh, in the market today than there was uh, um, uh, a month ago. So please feel free to barrel in those questions anytime. So as always with these things, when when one puts the questions together, it seems very topical at the time. And sometimes a week later, it can seem less topical. But I do think China is something which uh, we, we're going to talk about today. In fact, we're going to talk about China, inflation and the bond market mostly, but uh, definitely China but there's been a sort of a culmination of the events in China, which started with um, you know, some months ago, actually last September, um, <clears throat> with the Ant Financial uh, IPO, and it seems to have escalated since then. And more recently, we've been hearing about a company called Evergrande. So we'll cover we'll cover that. Um, okay, let me jump straight in. Um, so I put this slide together this morning just because uh, those of you following the market will see that we've had a. a I'm not going to say a correction because the te technically a correction is down 10%. We're nowhere near that, uh, we, but we are down about 2% on the S&P for the day. Uh, I mean, it's flat for the week uh, and the month is um, about 3.5%. Um, so we've had, had some move backward from the highs in early September. So what we're seeing today is the you know, market's down, bond yields up. And this is not, this is actually... Um, um, not so much the Treasury 10-year, which can move around quite a bit. Recently, has been trading between about 150 and 120 and 150, and today is sort of up towards the higher end of that. Uh, but it's the short-term rates, because uh, the two-year Treasury has been like a flat line for pretty much since last um, middle of last year, trading about 20 basis points. So just a fraction of hair above the federal funds rate. But now, but today, or the last few days, it, it moved up to about 30 basis points. So yeah, we've had about a 10 basis point move on the two-year treasury in the last few days. And I think what's happening there, um, and I'll kind of come on to it in a minute, is that you know it is reflecting the fact that the Fed has been talking about uh, tightening. Now, they're going to do it extremely slowly. But the two-year is going to be the, the, the where it shows up, and um, you know, up, up until now, it's been fairly benign, and everyone's sort of feeling that the rates will stay lower for longer. Still think they will, but um, but the two-year Treasury has finally sort of you know moved off its incredible lows. The other thing that we've seen is that the bonds in Europe uh, are lower, and just in the last um, again a few days, we've seen German bonds go from negative 42 basis points. So again, just to remind you that the way that works is if you buy a 10-year German Bund, uh, you're going to be out half a percent a year um, you know, when it matures. Um, so you can be buying at a big premium and getting no coupon off it. But anyway, they moved from 42 basis points to 20. So that's a 20 basis point move, um, again, from incredibly low and negative rates. But it does indicate that there's some uh, you know, combination of inflation and growth prospects uh, coming through in Europe, and you know, not before time, I would add. Um, and then on the gilt market, that's the UK bond market, um, similar thing. They've got their own problems with a uh, huge natural gas shortage right now. Um, and the Bank of England announced that they think 4% 4, 4 inflation might 
might uh, might appear the next year or so from much lower today and those those rates have moved from 70 to 90 so again another 20 base, 20 basis point uh, hit in uh, uh, increase in the in the bond rate so it's before we were always talking about the US and everything else was just nothing happening and now it's beginning to you know drift over into uh, into the major market economies um, and, and I think for mostly benign reasons in the sense of its better growth but also an indication that inflation will be higher than what it's been, which wouldn't be hard given how low inflation has been. So I've kind of put this down as, you know, okay, so what made the market move today? Obviously, whenever we do this, there's a little bit of hindsight and, you know, back, walking back and think, well, I think it's combination. It's no one actually ever comes out and said, well, I sold my stock today because, but I think it's this, that the energy issue in Europe has got a little hairy. Um, I'll show you a graph in a minute, but, uh, you know, this is a continent mostly which is using uh, in the in the heating uh, winter season natural gas. Natural gas spot prices have just taken off very very fast. Um, I also think that last week's message from the Federal Reserve, where essentially they talked about uh, beginning tapering or announcing that they would do tapering in the uh, October meeting, which means that they could actually start uh, as late as early as late this year. But I think that message is kind of sinking in that there's some change there. Not, not a big, big, huge change, not a 180 or anything else, but just kind of sinking in that, you know, maybe this is going to be the end of the QE levels coming, going along at $120 billion a month. <clears throat> US politics. I mean, clearly, uh, we've all been reading the headlines on the reconciliation infrastructure one, infrastructure two bill, the hard infrastructure, the soft infrastructure. Will the government shut down and what's going to happen with the debt ceiling? Is it going to be suspended or is it going to you know, be renewed? And obviously there's a standoff going there. And when you have people like Janet Yellen talking today that, hey, guys, just to remind you, you really don't want to go up against a debt limit and have a possible default. Uh, you know, the longer this goes on, then the more sort of nerve wracking it becomes. I wrote about it in the blog last week. I don't think we'll be in a default status um, just because we never have been before. And I think People tend to blink when they get that close to it, but uh, definitely uh, the, politi the, po the political side, there's, uh, it looks pretty tied up and not, no one really wants to um, play with one another right now. There is the technical, technicals, the kind of grand sweep all of reason why markets go down, but there is a lot of money, uh, trillions of dollars, which rebalances every quarter, either between stocks and bonds or different I don't know, asset classes within that. And you do get these kind of moves up to the quarter end where there's a lot of option heading. There's a thing called gamma, which uh, won't bore you with it, but essentially means that if the market moves uh, in, a, in a certain direction at a certain level, um, the option pricing goes faster and faster and faster. Uh, we saw it with things like GameStop in the other direction, but essentially if things start moving too fast, then they tend to go faster in the, in the same direction. I think some of that is uh, happening as well. Uh, supply, uh, I have misspelled China there, but you know, it's a China factory closures, there's still port delays, there's a semiconductor shortage, you know, all these things are, are still out there. So there's a kind of a supply demand problem. You know, central banks are very good at demand problems. They can certainly sort of instigate uh, higher demand in the economy, but they don't really deal with supply issues. There's really not a lot they can do. You know, that tends to be more of a, uh, you know, a corporate business logistics um transportation type of issue and that's really what we've been facing and that's really what's driving the inflation side 
And then also finally today, we saw a consumer confidence number, which uh, the headline was, you know, it's down, it's been the lowest since February, but it's, it's still way up what it was, you know, at, at its depths for most of 2020. And it's at levels that were at 2017, 2018. And before that, um, you know, it's a higher levels than it was for the almost entire decade after 2008. So yeah, they're down, but they're certainly not, you know, hitting low. And, uh, and I do, consumer confidence is very much, when you take those, whether it's this one is the um, chamber, I can't remember, I think it's the Chamber of Commerce. Anyway, it's not the University of Michigan one, which is a slightly better one. But, you know, people very much think about what they've, what's been happening today or the last few days. And if they feel less confident today, it's hardly surprising given what's going on with uh, Delta and, um, and the politics side. Okay, um, that was just to kind of give an introduction of where we are today. Um, I can't seem to get the next slide here, one second. Here we go. Um, this is interesting. I'm gonna just play you a few seconds of this because this is important. The buildings were marked for demolition because the development could no longer meet market demand and the long period of neglect had allowed rainwater to flood the foundations of the buildings, inflicting irreparable damage. The blast zone covered an estimated 500,000 square meters, which according to the Liberty Times... All right, you get the picture. You can, you can see that online uh, if you like. Um, but uh, that is interesting because um, this ties back to Evergrande. And what those guys were doing there was, was demolishing that whole development of um apartments that were never lived in they were they were built i know 2009 2010 2011 they had specification problems people couldn't ever move into them the developer couldn't complete them uh, and they just kind of sat there in limbo with everybody pointing at each other saying well you haven't built them he says well we haven't got enough money to finish them off and so they reached a point where uh, they were just structurally impaired and they blew them all up. So the reason I bring them that up is that that is a very good symptom of what's going on in China. Um, we've seen this remarkable story of the last year where, again, mentioning it, starting off with Ant Financial, which was a Jack Ma, Tencent or Alibaba, I can't remember, spin-off of payments, sort of like a, a PayPal. Uh, and the Chinese government pulled it. Then uh, recently they went after a ride-hailing company, Didi, which has actually got a partly owned by Uber, the other way around. But anyway, but they went after those guys. They went after the um, uh, the entire industry of, uh, of um, private tuition, $100 billion market. A lot of public companies were involved in that. They all, their share prices just completely vanished. Um, and uh, they've been under, you know, the gambling, I think is another one, and, um, and real estate. And so what's happened with real estate, that's not necessarily a bad thing, but I think Xi Jinping uh, made a comment, I know it was rather recently, but people just kind of woke up to the fact that, you know, property wasn't really for speculation, it was for living in. So, um, so there was this, uh, they started to the government said to property companies, hey, you can only have these kind of leverage ratios. Evergrande, second biggest construction company um, in China, was way above those, financially stretched. Uh, it looks like they missed a coupon last year, um, last, uh, last week. Uh, and now we're just kind of waiting to see how many people are in the uh, lineup of creditors. But uh, so that's, that's a particular problem with a particular company, a particular industry. But, you know, it does point to the fact that in China, 
there is this GDP has been pushed along for years with big infrastructure projects. The 80% in the US, 80% of the GDP is the consumer. Uh, in China, it's, I don't know, 30, 40%. Uh, investment in the US GDP is around about 10, 11, 12. In China, it's been 35%. As I mentioned in the blog, you can't build an airport or a, or a, or a bridge or a terminus, uh, and that immediately has an effect on GDP and a positive one. But if it doesn't have any kind of financial viability, it's going to sit empty. It's got an internal rate of return of close to zero. And eventually it's just going to show up as having to take a write-off against it or just shows up as a massive waste of money. Same thing that happened with Japan when it tried to reinvigorate its economy in the early 90s with the famous bridges to nowhere. So there's a little bit of that going on with China. And it certainly showed up in the property market. And I think that's why you know, there's a concern that large parts of the uh, property market are way overbuilt and way over leveraged. Um, and uh, uh, there's 60 million, at least, some say as much as high uh, as 90 million housing units unoccupied in China. You could fit the entire German and or French and or the UK population into them. So there's a, there, there is this feeling that the, the, the China GDP story is changing from this magic 7-8% compound growth you know, about to become bigger than the US to something a little bit more concerting, disconcerting. Um, and I think, you know, for now, you know, China's going to be on a much slower growth um, market and, uh, and certainly not the kind of economic threat that it was that people think it is for the US. But the three big issues today is, you know, Delta has peaked, but it certainly hit Q3 GDP. Um, we now know that the Fed is going to, uh, we, we now know that they are going to taper. Um, how much they're going to taper will follow, but my guess is that they're, they're doing $120 billion a month right now. They'll probably get it to zero within about 18 or eight, eight, you know, eight or nine months. And essentially QA for this cycle, unless something terrible happens, will be over. And then we'll be into, um, you know, talking up rates. So really we're looking at a um, late 20. 22 uh, uh, hike in rates. Inflation story about whether it's camp temporary or camp permanent is it's kind of most of the spike in inflation is fading a bit, but um, we're certainly in the camp of that it's mostly temporary. <laughs> We've changed, you know, we before we were adamantly it is temporary, but there are some things that might say, well, that it, it might level out a little bit higher than the one and a half percent inflation which we had for the 10 years after the GFC but it's definitely probably going to settle in a little bit higher than that big a big risk to the economy certainly not but you know some adjustments going on where inflation is um, is going to tick up um, China threat to global GDP I think you know, that is now uh, very much on should be on everyone's minds I mean it's, a, it's the second largest economy and it's it's stuttering even if they won't um, you know actually reveal the the real numbers. Debt ceiling, I put it as a short-term problem, but it's a bloody big problem. Uh, I mean, it's, again, I don't think they'll go all the way. Someone will blink. Um, but, you know, meanwhile, you've kind of got to look and stare down that abyss for the next, um, you know, week or two. Um, I think we can get to October the 18th, you know, with the Treasury doing various clever things to try and avoid not having to default on a T-bill uh, um, maturity or a coupon payment, uh, it'll be the T-bills which will get hit, um, if, if anything. But uh, again, I don't think that'll be a problem. 
consumer confidence kind of all over the place recently, just because of the, the Delta and inflation and the jobs market not being as strong as it should be, but it's way up from 2017. I think it's a big thing to worry about. And the employment is you know, just steadily increasing. Now, a few, more, a few months ago, we were much more bullish about the third quarter as well. That's when everything would be open. They'd be through the summer and the jobs would be coming back. And, um, but Delta came along um, and, that, and kind of put that, put that, um, uh, you know, put that to bed. Uh, the, the benefits have ended. So they'll be likely, um, you know, we'll get um, the, the first month where the benefits ended, i.e. September, um, we'll get the September unemployment numbers a week from Friday. So I would expect them to be better than the August numbers that have a hard time not being better than the August numbers. So it's kind of like a, it, it's, it's improving, but fairly slowly uh, and claims uh, are also improving again, but fairly slowly. Let's remind ourselves just, <laughs> you know, this spike was pretty big. <laughs> Uh, you know, with Delta. Now it's off, but you can see how much, you know, how much bigger it was here than anywhere else. This is just uh, just the average new cases. I think if you do it by per 100,000 in the US still doesn't show up pretty well, very well. But, uh, but it, you know, it was, a big, it was a big deal to go from down here, you know, 20,000 cases a day to suddenly we're back up to 140 and 150. So, um, um, you know, you guys have been following this, I know, you know, that it's been affected the vaccinated, unvaccinated people and in certain states in particular. Uh, this is again, kind of breaking it down by state. And, um, you know, there's some big, uh, big improvements there. Uh, but look at the, uh, look at the, uh, look at Florida. I mean, it, it, it basically, uh, you know, they were, they were much worse than they'd have ever been. I mean, here's our, here's good old California. I mean, you know, we had our worst time last year. Uh, late last year and then had a spike and we're down again but these some of these guys they got record record numbers so there's a big strain on the system but i think from a purely economic point of view it meant that people weren't going out as much weren't spending as much weren't prepared to socialize as much and all of those industries which depend on that um had a you know a more stuttering um uh recovery Originally, the, uh, the big expectation was that we'd see these explosive GDP numbers, you know, three quarters at 6%. We're roughly back in GDP, GDP, actual nominal or real GDP in dollars, back to where we were um, and slightly above, actually. So in, you know, from, that, the US, from that, the US has done quite well. There's a lot of countries that are still below, especially in nominal terms, what their GDP peaked at um, 18 months ago. So we've done well there, but there was more expectation. The Fed had penciled in a 7% rate for uh, 2021, but now they're dialing it back to 5%. You can see this green number or whatever, uh, orange, I'm not quite sure what color it is, but uh, the, the, the blue number is what's been really reported. And then the other number, which is the Atlanta Fed GDP now, you can see what they came into this quarter thinking, oh, it's going to be another 6% quarter. And right now at the end of it, they think it's going to be around about 32 so that's definitely a slowdown uh, in growth, and we all know the, the reasons why. So um, that's uh, that that's definitely been you know, part of this uh, slowing down story. The inflation, the trend is down. I, this, I've just taken these, just updated this from last month. Just taken all of these um, uh, opening uh, categories. So used cars we know they had a big spike. Transportation, gas, lodging, food away. You know all these 
industries which were hit hard by uh, lockdown. So when they came back online, we saw these big spikes uh, in inflation, um, particularly in June, you know, with used cars up 45%. We all knew that wasn't going to continue, but that was the rental cars who pretty much sold their entire fleet coming back and find having to rebuy it. Um, gasoline and so on, and you know, car rental prices hit those ridiculous levels of 87%. But you can see where everything's in red basically means that the inflation has, has uh, trended down, has ameliorated since that peak. And that's what we thought would happen is that you can't obviously have a car rental market increasing at 87%, you know, on a yearly basis, you know, you know, 5% a month would, uh, would price that business right out of uh, anybody's ability to pay for anything. So that's, so we think that's, you know, big, you know, trending in the right direction. You can see all these numbers are mostly in red, except for the gasoline one. I think here we are. That's that's obviously high because we're seeing a much, um, you know, much more um, big bigger change in energy prices over last year. But anyway, generally these are all moving in the right direction, which is down. Um, and then again, just to kind of show it in in picture form, what we're seeing here is uh, um, the things like take the take the um, yeah the uh, uh, the, the, the truck rental one that's that's the, that's the one which you know mostly that's an, that's a business where it, you know prices were flat essentially for over a decade you know your used car uh, was in, in inflation terms didn't move um, between 2009 and 2019 and obviously they collapsed and then then they kind of took off but they'll they'll start to move again so in most of these cases we've seen these hook downs and I think we'll kind of go right back to uh, much more sustainable levels over time, but this is what's going on. Energy is uh, is now there are a number of reasons for this. <clears throat> uh, one is sort of just you know energy and oil prices and effect by supply, and then people think people coming back with higher demand suddenly and supply is lagging a little bit. But natural gas, <clears throat> it's kind of a weird market. Natural gas because you can't really transport it. Uh, you can, they can stick it in uh, special containers on ships and they kind of look like these big gas containers that go really high, but it's expensive to do that. So, uh, you know, natural gas prices, um, you know, do tend to be uh, fairly volatile. And you can see, there you go, sort of like a 20 year chart, they, they zoom around um, and they tend to spike in the back end of the year for obvious reasons. But this is, uh, this is what we've seen. We've come from a much, um, you know, a much uh, depressed, um, environment back here and we've seen this big price but the big story is what's happening in Europe and this is the European natural gas uh, futures market and this has really accelerated so again normally that trades at this is uh, in euros and I think it's an uh, you know MWA I can more like megawatt hours or something like that but anyway uh, you can see that uh, again it's sort of like a 20 10 to 20 uh, euro swing and then suddenly boom you've got this and that is partly a result of some natural gas surprise coming through Russia and there's some problems with that <laughs> but it's a lot of it's to do with the UK problem where um, there's a high demand for natural gas on the spot market and with the EU being out with the UK being out of EU they're bidding up natural gas prices they also can't find enough truckers to get it to get it into the country so that is at some multi-year highs. And I think it will, I think it's a supply problem again, uh, as opposed to suddenly everyone's gonna be buying lots of natural gas. Um, 
and it'll depend on the winter side. But certainly for now, there's enough of a concern there that, you know, you'd say, well, some parts of inflation and obviously gas and energy have a fairly big weighting uh, are under some pressure. So with that, you know, we've seen some spot prices go up, uh, others which I think are ameliorating. But this is the kind of story that, you know, inflation for years, the different, the blue one is what is what the Fed follows. And, uh, you know, for years, they were sort of just stuck in this 2% range. And now they're looking at, you know, essentially it's this one, the 3.6. So it's, so you, know, you it definitely gets your attention here that this is, you know, different from what it has been for a long time. I don't, I don't think, and the Fed doesn't think either, not, not really matters, but I mean, I don't think it's going to continue at this level. It'll begin to level off, but it'll probably, and in many ways, hopefully be higher than the 2% inflation that we got stuck at for so long. Um, but you can understand why, you know, the headlines uh, are what they are, just because it sticks out a bit like a sore thumb. And this is kind of the next point. Made treasuries look pretty darn unattractive. This is this, this is the ten-year treasury at one point four eight percent. So this kind of inexorable decline over thirty years, lower and lower and lower every time. You know, come out of recession, it doesn't seem to get back to the pre-recession levels. Uh, and obviously, last year was extraordinary. They went down to a record low of about 05 percent. Now one point four percent. But look at this is after inflation, and we it's you know if inflation's temporary, then this will just jump right back up again. But you can see for most of the last uh, 10 years, the 10-year treasury really hasn't got you much of a real rate of return uh, in, in, uh, in yields anyway. Um, there's been some capital appreciation that we picked up on in 2020. But, uh, but otherwise, you know, if you buy 10-year treasury today at 148 and you assume inflation sticks at what it's at right now, you're going to lose 2.68% of your buying power every year. So that doesn't make the treasury and the bond market particularly attractive, which is probably what we've been saying for a while. For a while. So the Fed has started to think about tightening, and this is the famous dot plots. Um, and um, I've highlighted what they did for 2023. It's difficult to read, but essentially what they do is they ask all the 17, sometimes it's 18, uh, federal open market committee members, some of whom vote, some who don't, what do you think the uh, federal funds rate will be, you know, one year, two year and three year out? So in June, you had this cluster of people. Um, here we go. Uh, there were some hawks who thought federal funds rate will be about 1.5. Most people were clustered around 75 to 1. Percent. A few people who are saying, oh, no, it's going to you know, stick down at zero for longer. But now you can see it's all been pushed up. So, the, you know, that's the Fed essentially saying, well, you know, maybe the recovery is okay, but I think a little bit more concerned about inflation than they were. And I think there's also some just tiredness of, uh, you know, keeping, keeping this thing unchanged for so long and, uh, and maybe wanting to sort of, you know, ease back, uh, take the foot off the gas on, uh, on QE. But you can definitely see that, you know, here the, uh, the, the, um, the, the Fed funds expectation for 2023 has gone up. Um, the longer run is about the same. Uh, so most people are converging to say probably the long-term federal natural Fed funds rate is about two and a half percent, which sounds about right to me. Um, but uh, but what we'll see over the next uh, year or so is a gradual increase. There's more 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 voting members who who kind of feel that way. And just to explain how it, how it, how it works, uh, they're kind of going to do it in six steps. So this is, this is step one. First of all, they said, hey, tapering is coming. And that's what they did last week. They said it's going to come 
I'm going to announce it in November. So step one is done. And then November, they'll say, we're going to start it straight away next week, next month, but probably not later than January. Then they'll start the tapering Then two and three go together. Uh, then they'll end the tapering. That's probably around August. And then they'll start talking about, you know, that the rates will rise and they'll talk about the next level going up to 25. They'll do it in 25 increments, 25, uh, 50, 75. Very rarely do they move in 50 basis point increments. They do down sometimes, but very rarely up. Um, and then they'll raise the rates. So this entire process is, so we're here in September, 2021. And by the time this starts happening, it's gonna be end of 2022, 23. So this is gonna be a 12 month process. You'll hear us talk about it, but uh, uh, this will be the next one to watch at um, in, uh, in, in November uh, when they announce the next starting. So that's just, that's just how it works. You know, the Fed doesn't come out and hold closed meetings these days and announce that they're increasing the Fed funds rate with a surprise. Those days have long gone. Uh, so they, they very much sort of telegraphed the heck out of this thing. And this just showing that some of the logistics problems and supply problems are easing, although as I mentioned earlier, they're, they're still very much part of the economy. Things are not getting through as quickly as they should. You know, if you read about you know, 60 ships are sitting outside Long Beach, uh, uh, LA docks. If you kind of look on a map one day uh, at, at the, at the um, docks in uh, Long Beach, LA, it's through two counties. It's miles and miles. It's the biggest, uh, the biggest um, port on the West Coast by far. So a lot of all the China trade goes barreling in there. And normally a ship can come in and it could be, you know, cleared out in about 10 hours. Um, there's no stories about you know, ships lining up, having to wait six days outside before they're even allowed into the docks. So that there's still that um, you know transportation bottleneck. Um, I think it will ease. Uh, you know, demand for freight and everything will ease up a little bit. But there's a container shortage. I've written about this. Containers are in the wrong place. There's empty containers in LA. Not enough full you know empty containers in places like Shanghai. Um, and the additional shipping capacity just takes years to come online. You can, you know, put down a ship now, it won't be ready for three years. So, so that's, uh, you know, that's a, a limit to, um, to what can happen on there. And then um, the other one is air freight. And um, a lot of air freight is just, just carried in the hold of regular commercial airlines. So if you go on a flight from LA to Beijing, uh, you can guarantee that the, uh, the cargo hold is full of not just your luggage, but an awful lot of um, high value uh, goods. And because with airline volumes being down still, you know, 20% uh, from their peak, that just means there's less um, freight capacity. Things will begin to ease out a little bit, but they just take a while. Um, yeah, I mentioned the housing boom is kind of over for now. Um, these are kind of the new new home sales. So they've come off their peak. This is some of the rush that people had to move house and with low mortgage rates. Um, but the US has a chronic housing shortage. I mean, it's sort of in the 70s and 80s, essentially, uh, there was a house built for every uh, new person that came into the, uh, into the workforce. And then during the housing shortage, there was you know, one house built for every thousand people. So it was a huge shortage. We're about 450 here. So yeah, it's better, but look how, you know, compared to having no real uh, pressure on housing, it's still, we still don't build enough houses for the increase in the work workforce. So that's gonna be good for prices 
Uh, we've seen this incredible increase in prices. Um, and I still think the numbers are, I don't think they're going to continue at 18%. They just, they just, uh, well, maybe they can, but I'd be you know, super surprised uh, unless wages catch up, people just you know, push it out to, the, you know, to be unaffordable. Some of the institutions can step in, sure, and buy them instead and rent them out. But uh, I think some of these house prices, you know, yeah, they're going up because of the general shortage, but I'm not sure they can continue at that rate. With some wage increases, all the wage increases are at the lower end of the market. Um, and it's you know the leisure and hospitality trade, the retail trade. They are just seeing some some increases in wages, and that's basically because mostly because not everyone's back at work yet. These these are the blue line is all the employees, so it's about 17 million people who were in the leisure and hospitality. Obviously, it very nearly halved in in when COVID took took hold, and it's back to 15 million. So it's still two million short. Of where it was and on the local government employees that's come back but um you know until those schools fully open up that number won't you know won't, won't get up to its peak either so the point is that not everyone's back at work yet and as more people kind of get back to work i think it'll put some uh, a floor under some of the wage increases so i'm not particularly concerned about wage increase i get it getting out of hand uh, and while the wage increases are at six, seven, eight, uh, the employment costs are still pretty manageable. So these come out quarterly. So we're a little bit behind here with this June numbers, but essentially this says that uh, the employment, that the cost to an employer, and that's different from wages. I won't explain why, it's complicated why, but you know, the, really what you wanna look at is what's the employment cost for the employer? Uh, Cause that's where it's gonna be hitting. Um, and, and those are, yeah, they're high right now. You know, we've got average hourly earnings increasing at about 4.7%. It's been that high before without leading through to inflation. And it's definitely higher than it was up here, but um, it, it's kind of moving in that direction. But again, I don't think it's not going to get uh, out of hand. And, you know, if you throw the earnings increase over inflation, hey, no one's getting massive pay increase here in real terms, which is what counts. This is a weird spike because, um, because it had all the lower aged, lower wage people falling out of the workforce. But here we are, and it doesn't matter whether it's real average earnings for all employees or for production and non-supervisory. I can throw the weekly one on just to show that, you know, if they're working more or less weeks, this is flat. You know, this is not an environment where you kind of run out and go, oh, I feel, you know, like my wages have gone up. I'm going to go spend a lot. You know, wages have gone up, but so is inflation. So you know, this doesn't necessarily mean that um, there's going to be a huge amount of pent up demand. Um, I think the Fed doesn't pay enough attention to this because uh, they're, they're talking about you know, some wage inflation and, and price inflation and worried about inflation expectations. But I think that the real take home pay is still pretty meager, just kind of keeping in line, maybe with prices if they're lucky and not as good as it was a couple of years ago. So I don't think it's going to be you know, a massive you know, rush to the consumer boom. The job numbers, just look at the blue lines. Uh, these are all stacked here. We, you know, we're slowly getting back. August was horrible. I mean, 235 where people, thousand new jobs when we were sort of expecting more like six, 700,000. We put that down to seasonals and just hope that the uh, September numbers are better. They should be. I don't know if there'll be a million, but they should be more like 400,000. If they're not, uh, then this jobs market is going to be, you know, even slower to get back on, fully on its feet than we thought. Um, 
the jobs are out there. The blue number is the number of open jobs. So there's roughly 8 million unemployed. That's not underemployed, but you know, officially unemployed. And there's 10 million jobs out there. So uh, you know, the jobs, you know, what, what tends to happen is that an employer puts out a job opening and said, I've got a job opening. And they can be very fussy about who they, who they hire. And if they get a skills mismatch or a geographical you know, mismatch and everything else, then they're just not going to hire. It's going to stay as open. So it's not quite as simple as, well, there's 11 million jobs and there's 8 million unemployed. Why aren't they all going for those jobs? They, you know, the, the, the fit doesn't happen as, as comfortably as that. But I would say I would take some heart from this that, you know, employers are looking to hire and uh, that should make the easing back of the jobs market uh, uh, slightly easier. So I generally feel, you know, good, uh, good about the uh, jobs market. It's just taken a while for it to get back fully on its feet. Um, yeah, this is as of yesterday. So year to date, uh, small cap stocks up 22%. This leadership has changed a little bit. Um, back here in June, small caps were roaring far ahead of uh, mid caps, which were, which were far ahead of the large caps. Now they've converged. Uh, so between the small caps at 22 and the mid cap at 18, there's really not much. That's not really much in it that can move in a day. So they've so there's been you know it's good to see that the uh, the market has been pretty broad because now you're talking about large and mid as well as the mega guys uh, you know all kind of in pretty good territory. The one that's not been so good, of course, is emerging market. Now so let's just talk about China again. I showed you the uh, houses being exploded, and that's a good example. And some, some economists have absolutely nailed this. A guy called Michael Pettitz has been writing, writing about China for about the last eight years. And he said, this is coming. You know, they're building stuff which is making GDP look great, but it's not economically viable. You know, for example, you know, a, a, an airport in Chengdong, uh, Shenzhou or somewhere like that, uh, I'm blanking on the name, but you know, it has a capacity for, I don't know, a thousand flights a day and it's only using 50. So those are, that reckoning comes round eventually. It's a bit like the Soviet economy. If you kind of go back at all the missiles and bridges and tractors that they built and then no one was able to make productive use of them. It's not quite as bad as that, but it's more like that than the US economy. And there is some reckoning to be had. But the central government right now is targeting industries it wants to see succeed. And, um, you know, there's, uh, I've put a few of them down there. What um, and, and those they view as, and they're going after those that they view as socially responsible. Those the the, the, um, the ride hailing apps, which they know creates an awful lot of you know, labor inequality. And that's the last thing they want to start stirring up. So they put some clampers on, uh, on Didi. They've also said some, uh, some rude things about gaming and you know, people wasting their time on social apps and stuff like that. And these companies get the message. They back off very quickly or they say, Okay, well, can we donate, you know, a billion dollars here, a billion dollars there to some good cause? And the Chinese Communist Party says, yes, that would be a very nice idea. Thank you very much. And uh, and so they're still trying to keep some of these parts of the economy sort of uh, in check. And you know, it is a myth that the China needs foreign capital. So when they when they say that, you know, if we if we, if we buy a Chinese ETF or a Chinese a ADR, that capital does not go directly into China. It's just swapping between one owner and another. China doesn't really need FDI, foreign direct, domestic, it's foreign direct investment. It doesn't need companies coming over and building a hundred million dollar plants. They can do that. They need the intellectual capital and they need the 
uh, the, the technological know-how for sure. And I think some of the industries they're going to be targeting is healthcare. I was talking to a healthcare executive recently who said they were offered some very attractive rates for coming into China. Um, I think if you showed up um, offering financial services or property development, they would be less inclined to welcome you with open arms. But so they're, they're just looking at uh, industries which they you know, need to develop, they think, from, uh, from a long-term perspective. Healthcare, for, their, for sure, enterprise software, aviation. Be, there's only two aviation big manufacturers in the world, as you know, Airbus and Boeing. The Chinese are coming after that market. Uh, and uh, I can't remember the model name, but there's actually some viable aircraft that they can build. And they view that as a huge export earner and as a huge you know, key economy, uh, key, key industry. So they're going to be targeting things like that. Uh, and obviously semiconductors, because that's 98% um, of production sitting in one place right now. So they want to be able to you know, have a more diverse economy and they're targeting it more specifically. Uh, and the housing side, as I said, is overbuilt, over leveraged. And it's got implications for growth and commodities, obviously implications for growth, because you don't need 60 apartment blocks, you know, sitting on the outside of town, then that's going to be, uh, you know, going to show up in your GDP numbers. And if you don't need the 60 apartment blocks, then you don't need the cement and the copper and the iron ore uh, and the, you know, all the construction equipment that goes and puts those commodities together to make a, a building. So that's why, you know, markets like Australia are probably going to get uh, hit pretty hard at this if this housing market um, really, really backs off. Um, we talk about property price inflation here, look at it in China. Now, the average number, uh, national average is down here. So, you know, it's kind of the average number. And I apologize for the numbers not being up to date, but the trend's pretty much the same. Um, so this is the, uh, the, the, the annual housing price. So it was, uh, remember here, down here, um, it was, I don't know, like 2,500 and over 17 years got to 5,000, not a big deal. But it's the tier one, the tier one cities. Uh, so that's Beijing, Shanghai, Guangzhou and Shenzhen. And so, um, you know, I don't know how much of the population they encompass, but it's a lot. And they're very attractive cities to, to live in. And obviously that kind of property price inflation is probably unsustainable. And this is what I think the authorities are saying, yikes, we don't want to have too much of this because this leads to social problems and kind of second class citizens, two class citizen problems in all of these cities. And so we want to, you know, try and try and get this back on track that doesn't have this big speculative property bubbles and we've got 60 million units are unoccupied. So I think this is why kind of what's in the back of their mind to try and ameliorate this uh, particular tier one number. The emerging markets, uh, internet have uh, taken a hit. Um, I mean, they're up over the last five years, but uh, um, you know, obviously you can see here, this is the golden dragon index. You can buy an ETF for that, although I would highly recommend you don't. Um, but, but that, that though, that's, uh, like the, the NASDAQ for, um, for, uh, Chinese internet stocks available uh, on the U S and obviously they've been crushed. Uh, so, um, that's, that's partly what the government probably didn't mind happening. They don't really care if, Tencent goes from 800 billion to 500. Uh, they've got other things to think about. So, you know, this emerging markets nowadays is all China. I mean, there's other markets in there, Brazil, Russia, India being obvious ones, but China really swings it. So when you, if, you, if, you're, if you're bullish about emerging markets, you have to be bullish and uncompromisingly bullish about China. 
Uh, and if you're not, which we're not, then you can't really say, yeah, well, I'll be able to pick up some good stories in Brazil and India because they're just totally swamped by what's going on in China. So, uh, you know, for right now, the emerging market story does not look uh, particularly healthy. At some point, it'll be worth getting back into, but not yet. So, yeah, so thanks for bearing with me. I kind of cover a lot of ground, so I'll just try to you know, summarize here. You know, uh, Delta has peaked. I know we've said that before, but we think it has. It's showing up in the numbers anyway. Um, consumer activity has been depressed. I think it's you know, going to be slowly coming back. Um, interesting enough, the national accounts came out for June 30th, and household net worth you know, exploded up again. Uh, I mean, it's much higher. It's a, at, a, at a record high. Uh, now, part of that is because it includes house prices and also includes stock prices and things like that. But house prices is the big one. So, so you know, household net worth is incredibly high. Uh, and again, that's generally good for consumption and confidence. Uh, we've also know that you know, cash savings are incredibly high. A lot of the benefits from COVID were not spent but saved. So, there's still a lot of that still in the pipeline. It's consumers ready to spend. Um, hiring has been slow, but it should be steady. Uh, I don't think, I think claims, um, you know, they're still a little high, they're 350,000 in a, in a normal, you know, going along well, everything's happy economy. It should be more like 220,000, 250,000. So it's still a little high, but again, expect um, slow improvement there. Fiscal expansion, I, I think this, um, if this big this infrastructure bill, the one that's passed, is not a big deal. It's it's I don't know eight hundred billion, it's less than a trillion, whatever it is. But it's over ten years, uh, and it's slow projects. So it's eighty billion dollars a year on a twenty-two trillion dollar economy. It's it's important for political purposes and getting our infrastructure sorted out. But it's not going to be a huge boost to the economy. And it's the same with the other one, uh, which will be a, a lot less than three and a half trillion. We still think growth stocks are likely to outperform. Uh, value stocks is really, do you believe in the energy stocks coming back forever? Uh, difficult given what people feel about uh, uh, green and moving away from uh, fossil fuels. Or uh, do you think banks are going to be able to make a lot of money on lending in a spread business in higher rates? Well, they'll make more than they are at lower rates, but I'm not sure that's a, a great business to be in. So I'd still kind of go out there and say growth stocks are likely to outperform. And then uh, look for the Fed. You know, they'll we'll we'll see a next big thing will be in November. A lot could happen between now and then. I don't think they're going to change their mind or anything, but that's uh, that's kind of the next big big thing on the uh, on the rate front. Uh, and we've already seen the market levels move up. So bear with us. I know today was uh, a tough day in the markets, um, uh, but you know I think we're only really back where we were three or four weeks ago, and I'm not concerned about the. Um, you know, the, the, the level of, of the sell-off. Um, yeah, if anyone has q and I hope I haven't sort of uh, tired you all out. Um, we'll, we'll make this available um, if, you can, if you want to do it again. <clears throat> Got a question here. What is your reaction to Janet Yellen's announcements of wanting to tax capital gains? I think, well, obviously capital gains are taxed. Um, and I think the issue is, are they going to move up at all? Um, now I think they they could be they could move up a little bit. Uh, I know they're 16 now. They could move to 2021. They are not going to go back to where they were in the mid 80s, where they were the same rate as the uh, income tax rate, which was at that time on 35%. There was a think a, a thought school of thought back then that 
regardless of the out of the source of the income, capital gained or regular uh, earned income, is sure we tax the same rate. And that ran for a few years, and then people got tired of that and said, "No, we want to help the economy along, and that we want to, you know, increase the incentives for entrepreneurs. So we're going to re reduce the capital gains tax." Um, I, I don't think it. I mean, I, I've got these charts which show that the markets movements um, in different uh, in different tax rates is uh has no effect whatsoever so you can you can stick corporate tax rates at 35 percent they're obviously 21 right now you can stick income tax rates in at 40 percent 50 percent 25 percent no difference and i think it's the same with capital gain i mean you might see some portfolio shifts around as people say well I, you know all in all if i could take a capital gain now rather than risk being taxed at five points higher in 2023 and then you know some market movement around that but uh, really yeah i tend to believe this as um you know they, they they if they get any increase through it'll be very small but boy uh republicans have been pretty clear on this they don't, do not want to you know have any kind of tax uh, increases at all so I, i'd be surprised if anything gets through Good. I've got a scam likely uh, over there. <laughs> um, well, thanks very much. Uh, again, uh, thanks for bearing with us. Um, and if there's any questions, feel free, free to barrel them in to, to me, Christian Thwaites, C. Thwaites at BNJ Advisors or your financial advisor, of course. And uh, we're kind of open and, and happy to take your questions. And we'll be loading this up onto the, on, onto the web if you want to hear it again. And a podcast. Please go to the podcast. Do we? We, we like it when people do that. Carolyn, I'm going to turn it over to you to close it if you need Thanks, to. Thanks, Christian. Here we're going to play the favorite part of the ending. The disclosure, everybody misses. I'm sure you're reading it at warp speed, but here we go. <laughs> Thanks, everyone. Am I reading it? No. This presentation is for general informational purposes only. <laughs> References to an individual security should not be construed as a recommendation to buy or sell that security. The securities mentioned in this commentary are only several of the successful as well as unsuccessful investments by us and do not represent all the securities we have purchased, sold, or recommended. Although we deem reliable the sources of statistical and other information referred to in this commentary, we cannot guarantee the accuracy or completeness of any statements or numerical data. Past performance is no indication of future results. Thank you.